Welcome to Motherhood and Career Collide. Hey, I'm Kimberly. And I'm Ashley. We are two working moms on opposite coasts with experience in both corporate America and healthcare. Now on a mission to redefine how career and motherhood collide. Between the two of us, we have six kids, ages six and under. Coming to you from in the trenches of modern motherhood. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to our guest interview. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Diamond. She is a hospital pediatrician in New York City and an assistant professor of pediatrics at Columbia University. She also wrote a book. She is the author of the book, Parent Like a Pediatrician, and she's very active on Instagram. Her handle is Parent Like a Pediatrician, where she shares safe, realistic parenting guidance. We are so excited for you to hear this conversation. Stay tuned because we have a wonderful giveaway and enjoy. Hello, everyone. You just heard the wonderful bio from our special guest today, Dr. Rebecca Diamond. She is a pediatrician and the author of a book that was recently released in September called Your Baby's First Year, Parent Like a Pediatrician, All the Facts, None of the Fear. And we are just really excited to dive into not only some common core questions that we ask all of our guests, but talk to her more about the book. It is just jam-packed with so much good information that helps, and you all know me, helps decrease overwhelm. It is not over-the-top science-driven, which sometimes these books can be. She really breaks it down into plain words that everyone can understand and really grasp these concepts in a way that I haven't seen anyone else do in any other book. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Rebecca. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, so please, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Is there anything more you'd like to add? Um, yeah, no, I mean, that covers it. I'm a pediatrician and I'm a mom. And honestly, those are at least right now, the two most important things about me and, you know, they connect and the whole book is about how those things connect and how being a mom changed me being a pediatrician, how being a pediatrician changes in a lot of ways, how I'm a mom. And most importantly, I, I spend all my time when I'm not in the hospital seeing patients trying to figure out how I can use all that information and experience, just like you said, to help people get rid of that overwhelm because mm -hmm. big, it is, it is big out there these days. Yeah. And it's underrated. I mean, you really don't know what you're about to go through. You can be quote unquote warned, but until you're actually living in it day to day, I call it like the endurance of motherhood. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not, you just can't imagine what it's actually like until you're in it. So for you, you, you touched on this just before, but what has changed about you since becoming a mother? Um, I want to say literally everything mm -hmm. <laughs> because I mean, I know that's not a new take, but my goodness, like it really is just life-changing when you become a parent in any way. And me specifically becoming a mother, there was a ton of physical change, you know, trying to be pregnant, being pregnant after being pregnant, um, a ton of emotional change as I processed everything and, and learned to be the, you know, reasonably empowered parent that I am today. For me, in a very real way, and again, this is a lot of what the book is about and what I do online, uh, you know, it changed how I'm a par uh, how I'm a pediatrician. So it really, it really changed me directly at work. Mm -hmm. I have a, a job that is so closely related to parenting, and it, it really took being a parent myself to understand how some of the messaging I, even as a pediatrician, was giving, how that might have been received or how that might not have been tailored, you know, to, to meet my family's needs. So it's been revolutionary to say the least. Yeah. They don't teach you that in med school. <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> it's so funny you say that because I say that a lot with learning motherhood. It's like, 
there can be these comments that are very well intended, but for me as a working parent, it's very triggering. And so mm-hmm. we work with teams related to that, like the messaging, communication, how how to communicate with a parent returning from parental leave because you could have the best intentions, but it's not going off well on the other end. So I love that you shared that because everyone shows up to work, especially, you know, when you're in the field that you're in, you sort of have to have a passion for working with children and, and to be able to not like show up and want to do good is, you know, probably not in the repertoire of this position. So, you know, it's all well and meaningful, but when you're going through that process and now being a parent, it just, it does change the game. And I really appreciate that. And that kind of leads to my next question, which is like literally eye-catching the name, the title of your book. And I loved it so much because, you know, every parent is trying to figure out like all the different components of what you experience, especially in that first year. There's so many things that we're looking at and you address a lot of them, but I love the added area where you say all the facts, none of the fear. And I just was curious, like, what was your thought process or how did you add that in there? Because, you know, obviously for me personally, I can relate to that immediately. So, you know, it's spot on, but what made you sort of like, look at that as like, oh, I need to put that in a title. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, the title and the subtitles and all of this have obviously been works in progress and lots of evolution and iterations of it. I mean, the the whole concept of what it does it mean to parent like a pediatrician, besides being a nice catchy alliteration, it to me was something that distilled the whole like purpose of me writing this, the whole vibe behind me writing this, which is that like we can have you know, scientific conversations, we can have these realistic, you know, really database conversations without just being so rigid and so by the book. And the problem, I think, as you've mentioned, it's, it's kind of related, but when you've talked about the difference between everyone is well-intentioned, everyone is trying to show up and give the best guidance and advice that they can in these, in these parenting and, and, you know, health-related fields that we're in. But it's not always going to work in every single situation. And it doesn't always make sense to be prescriptive or be, be super rigid. And the, the biggest sort of the, the biggest thing to me when I was explaining what I was writing and what I was doing for, for, you know, to my friends, I was saying, you know, they would say, how is this different than the American Academy of Pediatrics? How is this different than you just saying, well, I, you know, I'm reciting the same data that someone else is putting in a handout or in something like that or in a data-driven approach or in a, you know, a science thing. And I I would say, you know, it's a good question. I I don't know exactly how to articulate it. And so I would write about it and think about it. And then I realized in all my chapters, I would have some sort of story or some sort of situation where a pediatrician like me or one of my pediatrician friends or a pediatrician counseling, a parent would tell them if, when, how, or decide if, when, how to break one of those rules. And so that to me was the difference. It wasn't that you have to do everything exactly right, but it also isn't that there's no science, that we can just go to the guilt-free, do what you want, forget doctors, they're mean, they're judgmental, they don't know what they're saying, they don't listen to me. None of those extremes make sense. Mm -hmm. It's the idea that we're going to live in this really uncomfortable gray area where there is that science and there is the guidance but that only you as the expert know how to translate and use for your family and for yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I say parent, like a pediatrician, you know, I was as when I became a parent, I had to learn how to parent like a pediatrician and pediatrician, like a parent, I had to learn how to mix the science and the intuition and, you know, and really create decisions that I felt confident in, you know, I could get all of the facts, like you said. I could be presented with all the facts we had, 
but not be overwhelmed by it or hopefully not become so fearful that I, you know, so have my confidence so drained from me, which is what the internet is trying to do, you know, usually to sell things, but Mm -hmm. you know, everyone's trying to tell you that in order to be safe and scientific, you have to live in fear. You have to be worried all the time that you're going to break the rules. And I think learning to parent like a pediatrician is learning that you're not going to do everything perfectly right and by the book, but trying to do your best is still worthwhile. And ultimately, if you do that, you've succeeded. And especially if you focus on like the important things, you know, there's only a few things kids definitely need, you know, like a home and water and food and vaccines and things like that. If you do that, everything else, you know, there's more wiggle room. Mm-hmm. which is a long, long-winded answer, but. No, I love that no. because I like, you know, if I transform myself into, I, which I do often because of the work I do into that first year of parenting, the fear I had to Google something was <laughs> insanity. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, okay, get myself ready to go and Google this because I'm so nervous about what's going to come up and what it's going to do to my psyche and how I'm going to navigate that as a new parent. Like all these things are so new to me that there is so much fear. Like, what is that? I don't understand what's going on. You know, the thoughts that go through our head and, and there's like levels of extremity to that. So there's, you know, not so bad to really uncomfortable things that you're very fearful of. Mm-hmm. And to find that like happy medium and that gray area that you're talking about to really support you, you know, I, and it's funny because I never wanted to be, I was always worried about being the obnoxious parent that was always calling the pediatrician <laughs> and Hey, I'm calling the nurse line again and again and again. So I wanted to be educated, but I didn't know what to trust and what to believe. And so I love that it's in a book, it's not online. And it's a place that you can feel like, okay, I can sort of navigate my own fears and find a place where I feel comfortable. And, and that's what you're doing with this book is like empowering parents to be able to do that. And I'm speaking from a non-medical background. (laughs) So, you know, it's a little bit scary when you come from a non-medical background to also try to talk through some of these things and feel like you don't have that background to be able to really support, you know, your intuition, the feelings that you're having. So anyway, I think you're spot on and I'm really appreciative of it. So it's a great title. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, yeah. I mean, I was so overwhelmed too. And this is really the book that I wanted. I wanted a one-stop shop that maybe didn't have every single situation played out and tell you exactly what you're going to do. But that's the point. You know, it's more giving you the background and the tools and high, you know, highlighting and double underlining the chat, you know, the the topics that do matter. And maybe you do have less wiggle room in, in the choices you make. And for the other stuff, just really reminding parents like, you know, it's okay to take a step back and remember that, you know, it, your kid's going to be okay. If you do that one extra hour of screen time, but your kid is in a loving home and you are giving them food to eat and they're growing, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world, all of these one-off decisions. And, mm-hmm. and to your point, if there's just so much information to sort through and, you know, you don't, you want to be able to do your own research and educate yourself and prepare But how can you even know where to start if there's a thousand different products and techniques and classes? And many of them are really good. You know, I use some of these courses and some of these resources. So it's not to say like, it's only my material. It's it's just the idea that you need a little bit of a curator. You need a guide to, you know, the concierge for your parenting (laughs) searches. Um, And I really view this, this is not to replace a pediatrician at all. And this is not even to replace your social supports or your internet searches. I really view this as this is your guide. You can look here. You can look at the chapter, like you said, get a sense of whether or not this is something you want to look more into base, you know, and if you do it, it gives you a sense of, of what those resources might be. My favorite part about this, and I was saying this to Kim pre-show 
um, that every, I mean, every parenting book should do this. And if they don't, I'm not, I'm not reading it is at the end of every chapter, you have a bottom line. And so that's the beauty. Also, if it's something you want to touch on, you can. And it, I love that it's five out of five pediatrician parents agree, or, you know, sometimes it's 10 out of 10 or whatever it is. And yeah. it's just great because it just gives you the bullet points of what you need to know. So whether it's you already read the whole chapter, but what was the big takeaway? I can't remember what that was, or I'm exhausted right now, but I really want to know the bottom line of this chapter because it's important to me to know this information for, you know, right now. I just, I do love that so much about this book. And you're right. It's kind of like you're, you're marrying intuition with science. And that's what's so nice about being a mother who's also a pediatrician as you can see both sides of that where you understand like your brain knows one thing and you're evaluating it in a certain way but then sometimes your gut is saying something else from the mom side of you and you address that so poignantly in these chapters and it just really makes it feel like you're not preaching you're really like I've been here this has happened I know this is what they say but this is how I felt. And this is what scared me about it. And, you know, I've said this to my patients a million times, and I realized that maybe I should have done it differently. And I just love that. I love the realness. It's really refreshing, especially from a pediatrician. Yeah, thank you so much. You know, it, it, there is this, you know, this growing divide in medicine. I mean, we're in this time where, gosh, COVID only made misinformation and anti-science stuff just mm -hmm. all, all the more. And, it, as a doctor, you know, it's so easy. And, you know, cause we're, like you said, we're so well-intentioned. We go to work every day. We really, you know, we miss our own family things. We miss our own youth and, you know, give up all our time and training, try to help people. And then we go there and they tell us, you know, bad things sometimes, or, or tell you, you know, you're a, a big pharma shill and you, yeah. all these things point they're Dr. Google. And then they're telling yeah. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but but you know, like it's so I can understand I have a, I've been there like before I was a parent and this is this is a realness thing for me before I was a parent. I was really angry at parents a lot when they would be anti-vaccine. That was a big problem I was encountering in my training. I was in a community that tend to have a lot of that propaganda in place and really parents were not giving vaccines and I was just kind of enraged and I think my anger was misdirected. It was misdirected at these parents who weren't vaccinating rather than as I learned, as a, you know, I became savvier and did a lot more research and looked into it. It really is the systems I'm angry at. It's the for-profit anti-vaccine propaganda groups. It's the people who are trying to sell supplements and, and make parents make choices that aren't in the best interest of their kids. So that was a huge shift, kind of a throwback to what changed becoming a mom. That was a huge shift because I went online and I, as an overwhelmed new parent who was like, gosh, I had really serious struggles postpartum. And even as a pediatrician, I was like, I know that's not true, what they're saying about vaccines and supplements. But I had a moment of being like, ooh, that does sound scary. And I'm like, mm -hmm. but I'm a pediatrician. Right. And it was that realizing, to your point of when intuition and science don't match, I think a few things could be going on. One of them might be, that the person sharing the science with you either isn't explaining it right or is giving advice that doesn't work for you in your situation. And we'll talk, we can talk about that more in breastfeeding. Sometimes people are, are promoting breastfeeding based on sort of like science in a vacuum without actually looking at the return to work situation and what might actually make sense for you and your body. And But another thing that might be happening is that misinformation has sort of taken a hold and so you, your intuition has already been eroded by these other sources. So, you know, I, I just think the idea of healing, you know, bridging the divide between science and intuition, is, it's a really complicated idea. It's a, it's a big challenge and it's more than just my book or more than just, you know, any one thing, but it's something that medicine really is, needs to reckon with. We need to really understand how we're going to because, you know, in a bi-directional way. So it has to be, yes, misinformation needs to stop. People do need to get savvier in how to appraise information and look for conflicts of interest. For sure, there mm -hmm. is that, that burden. But likewise, for the pediatricians, 
for the doctors here, we have to understand how to be a little more humble with what our science says, you know, how to be more respectful of the intuition parents have, how to triage what really matters in a certain situation. And it's something savvy pediatricians do, but it's definitely something we could be better at mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is just a little anecdotal evidence on, on intuition. I, I did my um, pediatric rotation at, in Brooklyn and at Lutheran hospital and a mother came in with her son who was probably about seven and she was frantic I mean he was fine he was sitting up but she like that mom intuition she was a mess and the pediatricians were evaluating him and they're like I think he's okay and we're checking him out and out of nowhere he just completely crashed completely crashed and the whole time though I just I will never forget just watching that mom, like she knew, she knew something was really wrong before the doctors even knew. And he, he had meningitis. So the bottom line is that it's so I'm, I'm such a proponent for intuition, but you're right. When doctors can be sensitive to recognizing that it actually can give them equally insight into like what's going on within that family and the family dynamic, the child, it's like a two-way street. And I think that's what's so beautiful about how you're speaking about this. It's, it's really like a relationship between pediatrician and parent, not like one dictating one way or the other, which is so, so wonderful. And it's calming. It's like much more soothing. Like you're a team all for the better good of the child. A hundred percent. If it's not, if it doesn't feel like teamwork, something needs to be fixed. That's not what we want at all. And, and you're exactly right. It it really just helps everyone involved take the best care of the kid, you know, and, and that's what, that's everyone's goal. We all have the same goal. We just want your kid to be happy and healthy and we want you to be happy and healthy. Sometimes we don't always realize how to get there, but, but that's the goal is to work together Mm -hmm. and find that. So from the pediatrician side of you, what surprised Or what about working motherhood surprised you most? Oh my gosh. Again, this is one of those, like literally everything. Cause you don't, you don't know how to, how do you prepare for being a working mom? Kim and I are laughing. We're like chuckling. I'm trying not to laugh. Literally everything. You know, I, I think part of what happened with me as a pediatrician, and I don't know if it's unique to being a pediatrician or anyone who just feels like they're really competent and they're an expert, especially anyone who has experience with parenting or a profession that touches on parenting or or children. I was always surprised by how little I knew when the situation arose, not in a, not in a way like I didn't know how to deal with it, but I kind of assumed things were going to be easier. They were going to just sort of declare themselves. I mean, Mm -hmm. And that I wasn't going to fall prey to all of the mixed emotions and all of the that overwhelm you're talking about, because, you know, I had done all this work and I knew that breastfeeding, I keep going back to this because this is a, a very common thing that, you know, new moms either put pressure on themselves or have pressure put on them to do and to pump and to do all that. And I sort of had in my mind, like, of course, I'll do it. It won't be a big deal. And it won't agonize me and it'll be fine and I'll give breast milk and I don't know, like, why would I need to prepare or think about risk benefit or come up with strategies? I'm like, it's just going to be what it's going to be. And even just that quote, you know, quote unquote, simple decision, I looked through and it was like, oh my God, there's going to be a, there's a thousand layers to it. And it changes each day. Mm -hmm. Oh, now my baby isn't latching. So I'm just pumping. That's different than Mm -hmm. what I expected. Oh, now at work, you know, I, I have a different call schedule. So now I'm on a 24 hour shift. So that totally changes things. Mm -hmm. But then I go back, what do I do with that? Like each day I was just like, it felt like starting over. It's really exhausting. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Kim, Kimberly knows this better. She, she talks about this. It's so near and dear to her heart, like everything about breast and lactation support, but yeah, it's, it's a level that working women, I don't think aren't prepared for normally. I mean, learning motherhood is beautiful at at helping (laughs) women (laughs) become prepared. However, most of us are not prepared. (laughs) 
I was just going to say like everything that you're talking about in terms of your experience, I went through <laughs> and I also was not in the medical field, but thought I w- was good because I think anyone that sort of like takes pride in their job, like works hard at kind of getting to where they are, feels like, and does any sort of preparation, right? Like whatever prep there was. And, and I can't recall all the different things that I did, but I was reading a bunch of books and, you know, I, I did a class at the hospital and I did all the things that I thought would prepare me. And I thought like, especially for breastfeeding, I thought that would be like, well, that's just what my body does. That's a natural part of who Mm -hmm. I am as a woman. This is what's going to happen after. And it's just going to click. Like, that's just how it works. I also thought it was like the strangest thing ever prior to, I like, I don't even like, this feels so odd to be feeding my baby off of myself. Like, I don't know, the concept itself felt odd to me. Anyway, I had all those struggles. And so to hear, I think hopefully those listening are having like a sigh of relief a little bit in terms of being so hard on yourself through that first several months when you're navigating feeding a baby, hearing a pediatrician say, yeah, me too, me too. It was hard, you know, and I really, really appreciate what you said there. I, I, I think sometimes we need validation from, you know, a professional. I remember my OBGYN saying like, Kim, I can't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because, and she gave me her reasoning. She's like, you need to stop being so hard on yourself about Mm -hmm. this. And even hearing it from her was good. Even though I was still hard on myself, it was good to hear from a professional like, okay, Yeah, that makes sense here. And I actually had a follow-up question because I had so many struggles with breastfeeding and it's something that, you know, the American Pediatric Association talks about quite a bit is I'm just curious, like in my head, in my non-medical head, it, it makes sense that we would have a lactation consultant attached to a pediatrician office or an OBGYN office. However, at least in my area, I don't really see that um, that much. It doesn't seem to be like a quote unquote, like benefit that's always provided. Uh, So I was just curious if you had any insights on that, if that is something that's just not on a medical practice perspective, something that's typically included would love to hear from you, especially since you're just talking about it and your own experience. It's such a great and important question. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like, why don't we just have an established infrastructure to support new parents and some more support breastfeeding if it is so important? You're right. I mean, it is not a surprise that this country does not support infants the way that it should. It certainly doesn't support new parents. And this is just one of many ways that it's lacking. There are, there are many offices that do have this and kudos to them, but it can be financially challenging for them. You know, we're a for-profit healthcare system. And so things that are, make a lot of sense and would save this country money even, and would also help babies and, and parents aren't financially sustainable sometimes. There's lactation services and consultants and telelactation and And those are usually, you know, those are becoming even more and more available and even taking insurances. So those are great. And those people are wonderful. But you're just speaking to the fundamental flaw with the systems that we have that don't support parents, especially in this country, which is, okay, you're going to say all these recommendations. Again, the American Academy of Pediatrics is going to say you should, could, if you want to breastfeed till two months, two years, sorry, two months to breastfeed to two years. And we should support that as a society. And that's great. But what parents hear is I should do this, even though if that's not what the exact messaging is, but they hear I should just, oh, I have to now breastfeed forever. When the real message that all the headlines missed and that we, we, we aren't really talking about is the message of, okay, so this is a good thing that parents should be supported in doing. What are, how are we going to support this? How are we actually going to get expert lactation services and parental leave that is even barely adequate? You know, we have so many steps 
that we could be taking. And I think what this ties into, and it's it's the work that you do too, is is the idea of, okay, it's not some of this parenting advice, some of this pediatric advice, I feel like people are asking and answering the wrong questions. And so when I went to write this breastfeeding chapter, everyone was saying, oh, are you going to say breast is best? No. Are you going to say fed is best? No. Okay. Are you going to say that breastfeeding is good? Yes. What are you going to say that's new? Should I breastfeed? And I was like, well, that's not even like the biggest question. You know, like, sure, I can sit here and we can talk about that breastfeeding has benefits. And I think you should know that. I think that it can be a, a positive experience and can have health benefits. I'm also gonna tell you that there's plenty of times where it doesn't work and that feeding your baby formula is totally fine in a ton of situations. But to me, that's like a less, that's not where the gap in information lies. The gap for me at least, and again, I'm speaking to my experience, wasn't do I want to try breastfeeding? It was, how do I even, what do I even do? <laughs> like, how do I even start? How do I, you know, how do I troubleshoot? Who do I go to? At what point do I think maybe is the balance has shifted and this is actually causing more pain than benefit? How do I reframe it so that I take my postpartum anxiety and depression into account? I take my return back to work into account. I balance that against the actual molecules in breast milk because these other conversations I feel like are so 1990s, like they're so outdated, the conversations of whether or not to try breastfeeding. And, you know, we can, we can talk about that a little bit, but then the next step to me is, okay, so then what, how does this work for me? How do I do this if I'm going to be returning to work? Or even if I'm not, how do I, who do I go to if this isn't working? How do I know it might not be working? How do I prepare for it? So. I, I really think the whole issue of, well, yeah, well, everyone should just be seeing lactation support, you know, starting from day one postpartum into eternity. Yeah. I mean, that is the long-term societal answer. We need a ton more of that. But in the meantime, I, I hope that by showing parents that it's just a much more complicated equation and it's, it's again, a real no right answer that you can take all the information that might feel overwhelming. It might feel overwhelming to hear that breastfeeding has benefits. It might feel stressful because what if it doesn't work out? Well, what if it doesn't work out? That doesn't mean you're a failure. That just means it didn't work out. Maybe society failed you. Maybe there was a medical reason it didn't work out. It happens. So again, you can have all those facts. You can know that these things are scientific and they're worth trying in an ideal world. But you don't need to to have the fear that, you know, your path might deviate. That's okay. That really is okay. Yeah. I needed I you <laughs> after having my son. I needed me. <laughs> I needed me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what really resonated with me with what you just said is that really the question that is being asked is not answering the question for an individual. It's answering a question in an umbrella mm -hmm. of like quote unquote society. Like this is what should women should right. do. This is what mothers should do. This is how babies are fed mm -hmm. instead of looking at the individuals and taking into account all the different lifestyles and factors and that so many women work and women struggle with breastfeeding and don't have that lactation support. You're right. It's it's too overarching and it needs to be brought down to ground level. And the thing is that these big academies and, you know, government agencies are not addressing that. Mm -hmm. um, I know they have like really wonderful meetings where they, you know, pop on now on zoom and say, you know, give us your feedback. What are you seeing on the ground? But it's just not, it's just not the same as, you being in the pediatrician office mm -hmm. with your patients, being able to actually communicate with them in a way that's more effective. So yeah, it's definitely such a collaboration all around. Oh gosh, moms. I just feel so, <laughs> <laughs> the things we well, go through. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, not to harp on this too much, but you know, being not in the medical profession and preparing for the birth of my first child the it was it was literally i went to the source of you know the medical information that's provided 
and said, okay, rest is best because that's what I should be doing. Like the, in my head, while that wasn't actually mm-hmm. being said to your point, mm-hmm. how it's worded, it feels like, okay, well, clearly that's what I'm supposed to do. And we're not taking in the situations that you so eloquently laid out for everyone. And so in my mind, that was my struggle that I failed because I wasn't able to do X, Y, Z, that I was a failure in motherhood at this early stage. How could I do well in my career and not get this little piece Mm -hmm. figured out because apparently my body should be doing this and it should be like this magical experience. And while none of that was actually said to me, it's how I interpreted the information provided because nothing was said about all the other components that play Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. your mental health, your work life that you're going to have your support network. Like none of that was even part of the discussion And, you know, so I just took it word for word. That was it. Mm -hmm. No, that's it. I mean, that is just so exactly right. I just, I just can't say this enough. We live in a society that not only doesn't support parents, but seems kind of intent on punishing parents. (laughs) What I mean specifically is that we really aren't taking accountability as a society for, you know, at the higher level for how we are failing parents and kids. And there's just endless ways I could list that we are not stepping up to the basic things that a parent and a child needs to to thrive. Again, we do not even have parental leave in this country. So when we think about it from that standpoint, no one is really owning up to it. And so when those things happen, if you have a, as a new parent have been told how things quote unquote should be, but haven't been told, by the way, society is likely going to fail you in one, if not many of these, you know, aspects. So doing your best really is all you can do. Then as a parent, because this is our job, especially as like these ambitious moms that we are, you're going to be like, oh, so I failed because no one else is owning up Mm -hmm. and no one else is, everyone's telling me how things should be, but they're not fixing it or doing anything. Mm -hmm. And they're absolutely failing me and my kids. So I'm probably the failure Mm -hmm. in this situation. And the reality is the opposite. You know, you are doing everything you can in this really crappy situation that you've been thrust into. Regardless of your level of privilege, you're going to find ways that society will fail you in your parenting journey. And to me, like the biggest, the biggest part of being a pediatrician parent, the biggest growth I had and learning to be kind to myself as a result was taking a step back with each setback and saying, is this really something that I should improve? Is this something that I did not as well as I should have? Or is this just how I have to do this situation, you know, make this decision because of the barriers that have been put my way and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Should I stop pumping because it's causing me so much physical and emotional pain and the benefit of my daughter getting some breast milk is way less than the benefit of me sleeping through a 24 hour call if my pager doesn't go off. Mm -hmm. That should have been an easier decision for me to make, but it wasn't. It was something that it took me months of literally a psychiatrist, like being like, you have to stop pumping. Mm -hmm. And me being like, but then my baby won't have my breast milk love. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you just know that's not true. Like, I know you're, I know you know that's not true, but I just felt it, you know? You just feel it because no one else has, sat you down and said, breastfeeding is great if when it works for as long as it works. When it doesn't, you should stop. Mm-hmm. Or when the when the harms become too great, you should stop. And and here's how you might know that that point is, is coming and here's who you can talk to about that. Mm-hmm. That would have been a totally different conversation where it wasn't immediately like, okay, do I keep pumping and my nipples bleed and I never sleep again? Mm-hmm. Or do I fail? Mm-hmm. That's how it felt, mm-hmm. you know? My gosh, I'm like sitting here going, yes, 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 yes. Because I, yep. oh my gosh, I did the exact same thing. Like my husband had to sit me down at one point and be like, you need to stop. Mm-hmm. Like I was setting my alarm every two to three hours through the night so that I could pump so that she would have breast milk for, you know, the following day. It was just chaotic. And a, one of my closest friends said to me in this 
phase that I was in, um, we had babies very close together. She had had um, a medical breast reduction many years ago. And because of that was unable to breastfeed. She tried and, and, you know, the doctors had warned her that it might not be possible. So my baby was on hundred percent breast milk. Her baby was on hundred percent formula. They both were very healthy babies. And what she said really hit home to me where as so many of these data-driven conversations go, moms think in their head, it's all or none. It's black and white. It's so polarizing. And she said to me, you know, some breast milk is good. It doesn't need to be all breast milk. You can supplement <laughs> with formula <laughs> and still be giving your baby the benefits of the breast milk and your mental health, the benefits that you're, you know, giving the baby the breast milk while also not, you know, killing yourself over here, over it. Mm -hmm. And that really just changed my mindset so much about breastfeeding. As you said, it's that gray area that no one talks about. It doesn't have to be like killing yourself to get to extract breast milk. It can be, all right, this is how much I'm producing right now. I'm going to let myself sleep, let my body rest through the night and we'll supplement with formula when we need to. No one really talks about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. And oh. we really should. We really should. Yeah. So speaking of which you had talked about, you know, we had all talked about feeling somewhat like failures when it's really society that's failing us. But if we scale back and talk about just failures in general, what would you say is your biggest failure? But also on the flip side, what are you most proud of? Um, you know, again, lots of therapy and lots of self-growth to get to this point. I really think my biggest failure in life, my biggest flaw is the pressure I put on myself. And I, I think this is a very common thing for, for women in general, for moms, especially for all parents. I, I really am, I am such a, a passionate person and I am a perfectionist and sometimes I fail just like in that, you know, the anecdote I just shared, I, I don't get things hundred percent right all the time. I still have moments where I panic because I don't know, my daughter watched two hours of TV for like the whole week and every day. And I'm like, Oh my God, like I'm ruining her forever. Aren't I? It's fine. I'm not, that's a spoiler. It's fine. <laughs> but, no, but to, to the point is, I think if there's something that I could do to to improve like what I feel like is succeeding as a mom and a, a doctor and a woman, it would be to not constantly be pressuring and judging myself. And, and to that point, I think my greatest success is having accomplished so much out there that is kind of imperfectly perfect for me. That is, you know, I, this book I'm extremely proud of and it's not perfect. I, it's so funny. We're talking about this. Like the other day I was going through and cleaning up my citations for online and looking at something. And there was this like kind of semi error typo thing. And I was like, Oh my God, like I have to burn the book and start all over again. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? Like I, the thing I've been clear about with this book is it is my, I, th I think it's very good. I think it's very grounded in science and research and reality. I feel like I have a really important, unique perspective. That being said, it's not perfect. It's not perfect in any way and it might not be perfect for you. Mm -hmm. And so my biggest accomplishment is, is the sense of I've been able to do so much and sort of sit in that imperfection and still feel really proud of it. Mm -hmm. And especially with my daughter, like those imperfect parenting moments where you're like, you know, it's so easy to be like, that was, oh my God, I just handled this tantrum like a boss. I want to throw myself a parade and I'm just I'm the best mom ever. But then sometimes you're like, well, that didn't go so great. But you know what? Like, she still loves me. I love her. She's a great person. I'm a great person. Like, just living with those little mini failures and imperfections and still finding pride and joy. That's like, that's when I feel really the most satisfied with what I've done. I love that. I think that's real for everyone. And I don't know, it just, it, it's, it's one of those things that I think to your point, like on a motivation or on 
on a level of where you're have a career that you have this ambition that you had prior to having kids and you're navigating it after how that plays out in parenting, right? Like how that transforms into the space of how to navigate that ambition of being a per quote unquote perfect parent, but also realizing there's no such thing and we all make mistakes and realizing that those mistakes are actually a, really incredible opportunities for your child and yourself for those reasons of like, no one's perfect. No one is perfect. And I think that's a huge piece of sort of like, you know, this transition when you're returning back to work, there's no like perfect answer to it. It's a combination of making a decision best for you on how that's going to happen. And we've talked about a lot of things related to society and how it sort of works against us in um, so many ways in your parenting journey earlier, early on and beyond that. Uh, So for you, you know, after having your child, what sort of what sort of thought went through your head in terms of like, okay, I'm, I'm making this decision to transition back to work and, and back to your career. I had, um, you know, I was in residency, so that's like the training that you see in Grey's Anatomy, but it was pediatric. So it wasn't quite as, quite as exhausting. And it certainly wasn't as sexy as that. I promise you, but (laughs) I, you know, I had what was considered generous for parental leave in um, a residency program. And that meant that at six weeks, I went back part-time. And then at 10 weeks, I went back to being a full-time resident. I had had a daughter born about 35 weeks. So she was born over a month early. She had some medical complications. I had a C-section. I had some medical complications. I had raging postpartum depression and anxiety, which I knew I had at the time, and I don't know that if I hadn't been so medical and so in aware of my own mental health issues that I would have recognized that, and I might have just thought it was extreme exhaustion and overwhelm, but all to say, I went back kind of because I had to, and that's just really unfortunate. I, I, you know, I didn't have to in the sense that I still am so privileged that I would have had a roof over my head. I would have been able to care for my child, like things would have been okay. It wouldn't have been like, you know, I was evicted or, or I wouldn't have been able to afford things. But if I wanted to finish residency on time and essentially not delay starting my career by a whole year, it would have been the difference. I would have had to wait a whole year to start my, you know, my adult doctor life afterwards. So it wasn't the same pressure as someone, plenty of patients I've seen who go back you know, weeks after they've had a child because they will lose their job. And they need that job, obviously, to live and survive and pay for that child. I knew a a mom who needed that job to pay for another child who was in hospice and pay for their health insurance Mm -hmm. and went back to work with a one child in hospice and a four-week-old at home and was back full-time. And I just felt like, God, speaking of societal failures, I mean, if you hear that story and think anything other than this society is ratchet to its parents and its mothers and its children. Like, you know, that is not an uncommon situation. So to your point of, was I ready to go back? Absolutely not. Like looking back on it, how would I have redone that situation in so many ways? Like if there was a world in which I could have taken two extra months, yes, the out, uh, oh my God, the ways in which that would have helped me mind, body and soul and helped my child the ways in which probably something more like six months made sense in my situation, given the severity of what I was going through. You know, the fact that I, I needed so much more support and I, I just, yes, like the rushing back to work, I think was really, really harmful to me. I obviously made it through, but I have trauma related to that time. I have what I've self-diagnosed and others have, you know, semi-officially diagnosed as a little bit of a PTSD response from my pregnancy and postpartum. And that's impacted my ability to think about family and being a parent because that idea of you will be so physically hurt, so emotionally hurt, so in need of support, and instead you will be shoved back into a workforce it was really, is really traumatizing to me. Mm -hmm. 
I, I would have ultimately gone back to work. I always wanted to be a working parent, always, always. But the idea of when we, when we have parents back at work and is going back to early harmful in the short term and even the long term, a hundred percent. We're all just taking a moment of silence because we, oh my gosh, it's so true. It's so hard for so many women out there that just go back too soon or with, you know, not only physical trauma, but mental trauma. And we do make it through, but you know, we're, we make it through a changed person and it's, yeah, things need to change one day at a time, keep telling our stories and (laughs) we will get there. But I just want to thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We want to encourage everyone to go out and get the book parent like a pediatrician all the facts none of the fear you keep it real you make information science driven information readable and relatable and we thank you so much and we are even excited to announce that we are going to be raffling off one of your books (laughs) to a wonderful listener so stay tuned Keep a lookout for the the post on social media. Make sure to like and comment on it. And please write a review. Everyone that does the like, comment, and review gets entered to win this book. And we will send it to you. So thank you so much. And as always, we would love to know how motherhood and career collided. So Kimberly... Can you please tell me how did motherhood and career collide for you this week? We just, we have like a shift right now in terms of, you know, when you're in a two parent household and you're both working and there's one that's having their workload is higher for the week. And that's sort of what has happened. So I've sort of came in to take over a lot of shuffling of activities. Again, I know I'm very lucky to have, we both work from home. So we have this advantage, but typically it's a divide and conquer. And it's really leaned a little bit more on me because of deadlines that my significant other had. So it's been like last night I was working late after the kids went down just because I needed to, to, to hit some needed things that needed to go out and be prepared for being in meetings all day today. So that's sort of how it's collided is that I'm running around to activities, which if you listen to this podcast on a normal basis, that has been a lot of what we've talked about in the past month and a half was returning from summer. And while it's really fun to watch, it's also really hard to do with three kids. So I look forward to divide and conquer again next week. How about you, Ashley? (laughs) So I've been going through a little bit of, I don't know, call it writer's block. Like I've just, I'm having some content creation, just like blockage where I haven't posted in several days and I'm just like, not really feeling it. And I've just been really hard on myself about that. And then of course, lo and behold, the kids just help me create the best content. Like why force it, right? Why force (laughs) it? Just let it come to me. So I was at gymnastics class last night with my three children. My oldest is the only one. She's seven, does gymnastics. My husband was working late, so I had to take them all. And it's only an hour and it's about like 15 to 20 minutes from our house. So I don't really have time to like drop her off, go home. Cause by the time I get home, I'd have to just turn around and come back. So I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I was like, pick a toy. I'm going to bring the iPads because I just like need you distracted. And my three-year-old is just savage. She is (laughs) insane. She's super active, super capable with her body. And she 
should be out there on the gymnastics mat, but they don't accept three-year-olds. I begged. And <laughs> so she ran, she sprinted through the gate into the gymnastics area. And I was like, ready for it. I was like, she's going to do it. And I saw her do it. And I went and I sprinted after her and there was like a mat, like a landing mat. And I put my foot on it. And I went to like push off to sprint after her and it shifted. And I completely face planted like in front of all the parents. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh my God, this is so humiliating. And, but then I had to like, just pop right back up and go get her. And then she thought it was a game. So she was like going between the bars and like up and down the balance beam. And like the manager had to get involved and try to like, we had to like corner her. So anyway, it was like such a horrifying experience. And then I, uh, but then I had content. <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> so it kind of worked out in the end, but it was still, I just had to like, if I didn't laugh, I was going to cry yeah. and I almost did, but I made it through. So that was my night last night. What about you, Rebecca? Oh my God. I love that story. You know, I have a, I basically have motherhood and career collide every day because of the fact that I'm using parenting in my, you know, my personal parenting in my profession and then all of this book stuff. So I have a lot of stories and it's certainly not all heartwarming and awesome, but I did have a heartwarming and awesome experience this week. So that was really nice to see these worlds come together in like kind of the exact way I wanted. I, um, I had a local bookstore event where I was just answering questions and talking about the book and had some new and expecting parents there. And it was at 7 p.m. So like a little before my daughter's bedtime, but not much. Uh, You know, she's four now. So my parents came, my husband came, it was really sweet. And my daughter came because I was thinking, you know, well, that's on brand and that's, it's fine to have my own child there. And there was like this stool and I was facing the audience and right from the beginning, she was just was like, mommy, please, can I sit in your lap for this? Please, can I sit in your lap for this? And I just, you know, for better or worse, was like, sure. And so I basically had her on my lap for the whole hour's event, more or less. I did kick her off in the towards the end because it was like she was really tired and she was falling asleep on me. And it was <laughs> past her bedtime by the end of it. But it was just really this like one of those like perfectly imperfect moments where I'm having trouble answering questions because I'm paying attention to my daughter in my ear and it's my first like big book event. So I'm really excited and nervous, but also I want to pay attention to my child, but Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and there's so much joy because she can be there. This is the kind of job I have where she can't come to the hospital with me, of course, but she can be so much a part of this. And I'm talking about her as she's on my lap and I'm talking to people and it just felt like, it's not like you can have it all and everything's perfect and whatever, but there are those moments where you're like, I really was able to meld these worlds together in a way that feels really like I don't have to just be one or the other. You know, I, I really can fully be both or, or be as, as much in both worlds as possible and as I want to be even at the same time. And that just felt really, really special. Mm, that's so beautiful. Oh, what a wonderful ending. Yeah. I mean, that is just so, so the perfect collide of motherhood and career. (laughs) And also so great for your daughter to see. I think that's a really cool experience for your daughter to see. Unfortunately, my four-year-old would never for that long. So, wow. Like that's amazing too. But I also know that it's hard to answer questions when you have your child on. So the fact that you were able to pull, pull that (laughs) off is pretty incredible. Um, So she had, she had had notes afterwards. She was mostly congratulatory, but she did tell me for her books, her next book event, what she would do the same or differently. So I was, I was loving that. You're right. It was quite the experience. (laughs) Oh my gosh. They do mirror sort of like their experiences like that at home. Like they play because my daughter's four and I see her sort of doing things that we've done and now playing it out on her own in her Mm -hmm. own pretend play. It's really fun to watch. So you should have her do a book event at home and and you should be the audience. 
Yeah, she told me hers is almost ready soon. She's been writing one for a year. So I'll let you know when it comes out. Perfect. Let us know. Um, Well, thank you so much for today. This has been such a wonderful question. This has been such a wonderful conversation. I, as a parent myself, can appreciate a lot of what you said and also have so many more things to ask you um, if time permitted. And so I'm so grateful for the opportunity to speak to you. I know Ashley is too. We're really excited about the book and sharing the the information because of everything that you just said. And it's so relatable and we're, we're grateful for your time. So thanks so much for today. Thank you so so much for having me. Yeah, we're, uh, yeah, there's so much more to say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I always struggle to end these, uh, especially when we have such wonderful conversations, but I'm just going to say until next time, I hope everyone enjoyed today's conversation. As Ashley mentioned, we'll be doing a giveaway. You can enter by liking the post related to this episode on Instagram and also commenting and then leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that would be great. So thank you again. And we'll until next time. <laughs> until then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you find support in our words. For more, come find us on Instagram at Motherhood Career Collide or on our websites learningmotherhood.co and workingmomnotes.com. We would be so grateful if you could leave us a review and share this episode with a friend that needs to hear this discussion. We are all in this together. And as a reminder, you are not alone. You are doing your best and you are enough.